You're listening to Gruesome and Unnatural, a true crime podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Gruesome and Unnatural. I'm Shelly. And I'm Eric, and this is episode 29. Yeah, thanks again for tuning in to another episode. I'm so glad you guys are here, you know, for another episode so I can torture Eric for, uh, you know, another gruesome story for him to hear. <laughs> I deal with it so well. <laughs> yes, you do. You love it. Anyways, a uh, few things. I usually, I don't like to do this, but I just wanted to say a few things before we start the episode. Um, big shout out to... Charlotte, you are amazing. We were talking on Instagram and she just made me smile. It made my day when we were talking. So just a huge shout out. Happy belated birthday too. Huge shout out to Stephanie because she was, um, we were talking on Instagram and she gave me a suggestion for this case and I've never heard about it and it's fucking wild. So thank you, Stephanie, because I got deep into this. It was like, it's a good one. It's a good one. I'm really excited for this. I love how you're excited for turmoil and death. I know. It's horrible. I don't mean to be so excited, but it's interesting. But also, I don't do trigger warnings because I feel like it's a true crime podcast. You know, it's, I mean, it's in our name, gruesome, you know, natural. But I'm going to for this one just because it has to do with children. So trigger warning has to do with children's death. But just so you know. Hooray. So yeah, let's get into it. Just want to let you guys know, in case you don't want to listen to this episode, you can wait until Monday. But no, nah, I have that, to listen to it. You guys do too. I agree. I agree. Anyways, um, so yeah, let's let's get into this one because it's fucking wild and crazy. So are you ready? No. You're always fucking ready. Okay, this is the story of Mary Bell, not Mary Bell, but her first name is Mary and her last name is Bell. Mary Bell was born May 26, 1957, in a village by the name of Corbridge, which is located in Northumberland, England. This village is 16 miles or 26 kilometers west of Newcastle and four miles or six kilometers east of Hexham. Mary was born to her mother, Elizabeth McCricket, who went by Betty, which I will refer to her as um, Betty. Her father is to believe to be William Bell, but... It's not really known, really, who her biological father is. He's kind of just unknown. Mary did have an older sister, Catherine, and she was around 17 when Mary was born, I believe. Mary's mother, Betty, was a very well-known local prostitute in the area, but she would travel as far as Glasgow quite often for work, meaning that she was like barely home to take care of her children. Betty would just leave her children there with their, you know, quote unquote father. Even he wasn't home all the time. So they were literally there just by themselves. And like I said, her father is unknown. But unfortunately, this man, William, was a very violent alcoholic with a lengthy criminal history for crimes, including armed robbery and such. The behavior from his, her parents is just like horrendous and uncalled for. And I'm sure you can all tell that sadly Mary was like, she was pretty much unwanted and neglected as a child because her mom was around prostituting and she didn't really know her father and he was never there anyway. So what does it matter? So she was just, yeah, very neglected, unwanted. It seemed like she was so unwanted that Mary's aunt 
Isma Cricket stated that after Mary was born, the nurse brought her back into the room and she was trying to place Mary in her mother's arms. And she said, quote, take the thing away from me, unquote. So, yeah, this poor little girl, I just wish that she was, you know, born into a family that loved her and a mother that wanted to hold her after she was born. You know, it's very heartbreaking to hear all these like horrific things that Mary had to go through, you know, just after she was born, pretty much. So, yeah, she also endured like many household injuries when she was home alone with like her mom because her mom didn't like I said, she was never there. But when she was there, she was like not even there to like take care of her. Like, she just didn't care about her well-being while she was there, pretty much. She didn't care about her so much to the point that Betty's family was concerned and thought that Betty was deliberately neglecting and intentionally trying to harm and kill her own daughter. For example, in 1960, Betty dropped Mary from a first-floor window and another incident where she gave Mary an excessive amount of sleeping pills. Wow. As a child. Betty went as far as to sell Mary to a mentally unstable woman who couldn't have children of her own. So it was her own sister, like I mentioned earlier, um, Catherine, her older sister. She had actually traveled by herself across Newcastle to get her sister back. And that's exactly what she did. She traveled and went and got her sister, brought her back to their house at 70 White House Road. And I'm so curious. I couldn't really find anything about like Betty's reaction to like her daughter coming home. Like she just went through all this shit to like sell her fucking daughter. And then all of a sudden she's like, oh, you're back home. So at this point, her family is like pleading with her to let them have custody of Mary because she wasn't around, didn't, you know, provide for her children or anything. Okay, yeah, this is horrible. This is kind of what I was saying earlier about the whole trigger warning thing. But one thing I didn't tell you was that Betty was also a dominatrix and it is alleged that she began to allow and or encourage many of her clients to sexually abuse and like sodomize, like have sodomized like sessions like with Mary, her own daughter. Oh, fuck. This was in the mid 60s and she was born in 1957. So she would only be like maybe eight years old when this was like happening to her. So that's fucking horrifying. Her own mother did shit like that to her. Although all of this abuse and neglect made Mary, it made her a very young, I mean, angry, like young little girl. She was very angry and I can see why. Not only when she was at home, but when she was at school, Mary started to portray very disturbing and unpredictable behaviors. Some of those included sudden mood swings and chronic bedwetting. And most of us that are into true crime uh, probably know the McDonald triad. But in case you don't, it's um, consists of animal cruelty, obsession with setting fires and chronic bedwetting. And studies on the McDonald triad suggests that these behaviors are more linked with childhood experience of parental neglect, brutality, and abuse. And Mary is now wetting the bed, and she's enduring these mood swings along with disturbing behavior and things just kept getting worse for her, you know? So Mary was known at this point to fight with a lot of the boys and girls in school, so far to the point that Mary attempted to strangle one of her classmates and one of her playmates on, like, multiple occasions. On another occasion, Mary took a handful of sand and attempted to block the trachea of a little girl when she was, when they were just little children, like elementary school. It was now that kids were seeing that what Mary was doing to other children. So not many of them wanted to like do, you know, wanted nothing to do with her. There was, however, one kid that did want to hang out with Mary. And that was 13 year old Norma Joyce Bell. And it, there's n- in no way is there any relation between Norma Bell and Mary Bell. They're not like sisters or anything. They just like happen to have the same last name, which is pretty crazy. 
So when Mary got to junior high in 1968, making her 10 years old now, I know I was going to, that's what I was going to state. I know that at least for me and you, there's like different ages. Like, like I went, my junior high was like seven, eighth grade and yours is what? Six, seven, eighth. Yeah. So I'm assuming that she is, uh, yeah, in junior high at this point. Yeah, one of her classmates stated that herself and other students knew Mary's tendencies and would notice when Mary would start to display certain mannerisms, such as Mary would start to, like, shake her head and gaze at certain people, potentially ones that she, like, wanted to harm. And that's when her classmates knew she was, like, going to become, like, really violent. So that's fucking terrifying. Can you, be like, imagine being in class and, like, this little girl just starts, like, freaking out, out yeah. staring at you and they're like, oh, no, she's going to fucking kill somebody or try to strangle me or something or shove sand down my throat on saturday may 11th 1968 still making mary 10 years old and she was actually just 14 days away from being 11 mary and her friend that i mentioned earlier norma they were playing with a three-year-old little boy and where is his parents <laughs> where is his parents he's three years old playing with what a 10 year old or almost 11 year old and a 13 year old like why I, I don't know Maybe I'm crazy. I just thought that was a little weird. That is Where's weird. Pants? So this little boy and these two older girls were on top of a disused air raid shelter when one of the girls, presumably Mary, pushed him off and he fell seven feet below, resulting in a severe laceration to his head. The little three-year-old boy was found wandering around in the vicinity of St. Margaret's Road, Scottswood, bleeding from his head. He was able to tell police that he was playing with two girls Mary Bell and Norma Bell, and that he was not sure which one of them pushed him, but he fell, and that's how he, you know, injured his head. So at least he was able to tell the police what happened, why he was just wandering around as a three-year-old. The same day as that incident, parents of three little girls called the police and stated that Mary and Norma had attempted to strangle them in a sand pit at school. So she's going around strangling all these little kids in sand pits, shoving sand down their throat. Both of the girls were taken in for questioning after these parents, you know, came forward about their own little girls. And they both denied that they had anything to do with, you know, harming those girls or harming this three-year-old little boy. They claimed that it had appeared that he had just fallen off of this air raid shelter and Mary and Norma just happened to come across him with a big wound on his head. Later on though, Norma would tell police that Mary had tried to strangle all three of those little girls and Norma stated, quote, Mary went to one of the girls and said, what happens if you choke someone? Do they die? Then Mary put both hands around the girl's throat and squeezed. The girl started to go purple. I told Mary to stop, but she wouldn't. Then she put her hands around Pauline's throat and she started going purple as well. Another girl, Susan Cornish, came up and Mary did the same thing to her, unquote. Although Norma did confess due to their ages, they were just given a warning and no further, you know, no further actions were taken. Like, how is that possible? There's like th three little girls that are getting choked out and parents are coming forward and nothing's happening. That just well, bleeps. what are you supposed to do to someone that's that young? Well, I mean. uh, that's true. I know. But if I heard that as a parent, I'd be like, um, can I get my kid to another class? <laughs> but she's still, I guess, beyond the playground at recess and yeah. stuff like that, right? Anyway, so yeah, unfortunately... Um, there was no action taken, but, um, on May 25th, 1968, just one day after, I'm sorry, one day before Mary was to turn 11 years old, she strangled four-year-old Martin Brown in the upstairs bedroom of a derelict house, which is which was located at 85 street, Margaret's road. Go ahead and visit it. 
it might be haunted. You never know. Presume, <laughs> presumed to have committed this, you know, this murder alone. She strangled him to death. In case you didn't hear that. A little four-year-old boy, Martin Brown, she, she literally killed him. She strangled him to death. So after all those times of attempting, just playing around, right? She actually killed this four-year-old little boy. By the way, I had no idea what a derelict house was, <laughs> so I looked it up. I don't know if you guys do. Maybe you guys do. I don't know. Derelict house is stated as the building being boarded up or has metal screens over the windows and doors. Like, pretty much no one lives there. There's overgrown gardens and just crap all over the property. And, yeah, that was kind of, like, in the neighborhood. And, like, it couldn't get any worse. Martin's body was discovered by three children around 3.30 p.m. that same day. Martin was lying on his back with his arms stretched above his head with specks of blood and foam around his mouth. John Hall, a local workman, arrived at this house and right away he attempted CPR, but he could not save him. And while he was attempting CPR, guess who shows up in the doorway of this house? Mary and Norma Bell. John Hall, the one performing CPR, told them to leave, so they decided to go to Rita Finlay's house, which was Martin's aunt. Mary just kills this little boy and then decides, I'm going to go to his aunt's house. And he tells her, quote, one of your sister's barons just, ha just had an accident. We think it's Martin, but we can't tell because there's blood all over him, unquote. What a terrifying little girl. <laughs> like, she just killed him and wants to, like, go tell his aunt something that actually wasn't true because there was, like, specks of blood. She strangled him, so it's not like there was blood all over, if you think about it. This is the fucking worst story you've ever told me. I know. That's why I told you a trigger warning. It doesn't matter. I'm still on the podcast and I have to sit here and listen to it. You can tell me all the warnings you want. It's fucked up. I know. And that's why I wrote how horrifying and creepy this situation is. Oh, cool. Is Another warning. It. <laughs> it was just like, yeah, you're home alone and these two little girls. I mean, not home alone, but you're there giving CP. Anyways. Oh, that's what I was saying. How, yeah, these two little girls come to your door, like, you know, and tell you about their nephew. Like, that's just fucking horrifying. But in reality, you know, like I was saying, he strangled him. So there's just specs and stuff like that. So in case you needed to me to reiterate what I just said. Um, anyway, so the next day, Dr. Bernard Knight conducted a postmortem examination of Martin's body and found that there were no signs of violence on his body. So like, he, you know, was unable to determine the cause of death. Which is crazy because he got strangled. You would think they would see like some kind of markings on his uh, on his throat or whatever. But anyways, the day after Mary strangled Martin on May 26, 1968, Mary's 11th birthday, Norma and Mary decided to break into a nursery and vandalize the place, which was in nearby Woodland Crescent. The two girls got into this building by peeling off the uh, slate tiles that were on top of the roof. Once they got inside, they started tearing up books, turning desks upside down, and then smearing ink and paint all over the place, and then they just ran away. The following day, the nursery workers showed up to work, and when they walked in their, their business, they found you know the whole place vandalized and just a complete mess, so they called the police. Once police showed up and explored around the building, they came across a few notes. One of the notes read, quote, I murder so that I may come back, unquote. Another note read, quote, we did murder Martin Brown. Fuck off, you bastard, unquote. And the third note wrote or read, quote, fuck off, we murder. Watch out, Fanny, and I'm not going to say the word, but it's F-A-G-G-O-T, unquote. The final note read, quote, you are mice. 
Why? Because we murdered Martin. Go brown, you beat. Which I think they meant to write better. Look out, there are murders about Fanny and Ald. Again, F-A-G-G-O-T. You screws, unquote. By the way, <laughs> I know that might sound a little weird, the notes. I'm going to post them on social medias and everything. Gruesome and Natural on Instagram and Twitter and all those fun things. Um, because a lot of these words are like all capital. They're misspelled. You can totally tell that a child wrote them. So go check those out if you want to. Yeah, they're just like really sloppy and stuff like that. What did the police do? Oh, this is just a tasteless, childish prank that, you know, these little kids just broke in here and wrote this note. We're just going to dismiss it, whatever. So they just moved on. So three days later on May 29th, Mary and Norma were back to their shenanigans and they were playing their a game of chicken. Remember that? Yep. Good old game of chicken. I was like, while I was doing this, I was like, a fucking game of chicken between these two girls kind of fucking, like, sounds terrifying, doesn't it? Like, knowing the shit that they've done already. Yeah. Anyway, so these two girls go to June Brown's house, which is the mother of Martin Brown, the four-year-old little boy that Mary strangled. Mind you, this is right before the funeral for Martin was, like, to take place. So they knock on her door, and June answers. The girls actually ask for her, like, to see her son. June replies that they can't see him because he's deceased. Mary replies, quote, oh, I know he's dead. I want to see him in his coffin, unquote. This girl's fucking evil. She's so little and tiny, and but she's so evil. It, like, blows my mind. What is going on through this little girl's mind? I know she had a horrible, horrible, horrible childhood, so this obviously has to contribute to it, but... Anyways, don't neglect your, your children, guys. Don't do it. They'll become like a Mary. Anyways, <laughs> on July 21st, 1968, in the middle of the afternoon, Mary and Norma were playing with a little three-year-old boy by the name of Brian Howe one of his, and one of his siblings and their family dog outside of Brian's home. They're just like right in the middle of his home. It's him and his sibling, dog, Mary and Norma. Late on that afternoon, Brian's sibling and their dog showed up to the home, but there was no Brian. So family members kind of grew concerned and they started alerting neighbors. So they all kind of just started searching around, just trying to find him, but no one could find Brian. It was at 11.10 p.m. the same day that they unfortunately came across Brian's body. Brian was found deceased between two large concrete blocks and when police showed up, they noticed that it looked like somebody was actually trying to hide the body because he was covered in clumps of like grass and weeds. Police also noticed that cyanosis, which I have never heard of, which is uh, defined as the change of body tissue color to a bluish purple color resulting in having decreased amounts of oxygen. They noticed cyanosis on his lips, as well as several bruises and scratches on his neck. Close to his feet was also a pair of broken scissors. It was concluded that Brian died of strangulation and he had been dead for about seven and a half hours before anybody had discovered him. It was also believed that Brian's killer had squeezed his nose closed while strangling him with their other hand. It also appeared that Brian had several wounds to his legs before death. He had sections of his hair cut off as well as genitals that had been partially mutilated. The coroner noticed that uh, what looked like an attempt that someone had carved a letter M into Brian's stomach. You're rubbing your head. Are you a little angry? Are you, are you listening? Angry? This is fucking disgusting and horrible. I'll continue. 
The coroner believed that since there was little amount of force to strangle Brian, that it may have been another child that actually, you know, killed him. Upon examination of Brian's body, they found several gray and maroon fibers on his clothes and his shoes. They found no such fibers in his home, so investigators believe that they came from Brian's killer. There was a huge investigation into Brian's murder, and there was over 100 detectives that questioned over 1,200 children. Some witnesses came forward and stated that they had seen Brian playing with Mary and Norma just before he had disappeared. Mary and Norma were taken in for questioning and fully admitted to playing with Brian, but stated that they never saw him after like lunchtime. Investigators noticed during their questioning, Norma seemed kind of excited, while Mary was more observant and quiet and just saying very little. They let Mary and Norma go that day, but the following day they brought Mary back in for more questioning. Mary seemed to talk a little more this time around, stating that she did remember seeing a little boy around eight years old playing with Brian on the same day that Mary told him that she was playing with Brian, but it was at a different time and that she actually saw this boy hitting Brian. Mary said she remembered seeing the boy covered in grass and weeds, like they had been like rolling around in grass or whatever, as well as he had a small pair of scissors with him. Mary stated, quote, I saw him trying to cut a cat's tail off with the scissors, but there was something wrong with them. One leg was broken or bent, unquote. So she's just all over the place trying to fucking lie. Like she wasn't with him that day, or like she was with him, but then she saw another boy with him and he may have like done something to him pretty much, you know? So obviously the police were not buying her story because they were the only ones that knew about these scissors being found next to the body. So it was like, what the hell, Mary? How the fuck do you know about these scissors? So investigators also went to interview this eight-year-old boy that Brian was supposedly playing with that day. But he was at a Newcastle International Airport that day. Several witnesses saw him there, so they knew that he wasn't with Brian that day and that he couldn't have hurt him or murdered him or anything. On August 4th, 1968, Norma's parents contacted police stating that their daughter had a confession to make. Investigators went to Norma's house and asked her what she knew about the murder. Norma said that she knew who had killed him. She stated that Mary Bell had shown her where Brian's body was after killing him. Mary even showed Norma how she strangled him and how much she actually enjoyed doing so. Mary even described how she tried to carve M on his stomach with a razor blade and talked about the broken scissors. Norma then led police to the actual crime scene where the murder took place and showed them where the hidden razor blade was. Norma even drew a picture as to what Brian's stomach looked like and like it matched exactly. So she remembered like Mary showing that to her. So she kind of like made a little sketch for the police and police were like, holy shit, like she's telling the truth. So police went to Mary's house earlier in that morning on um, of August 5th to pay her like a little visit to question her. And when they questioned her this time, she was a little more defensive. Mary stated, quote, you're trying to brainwash me. I will get a solicitor to get me out of this, unquote. Police then go back to Norma to question her one more time. And now she stated that she was actually there when Mary was strangling Brian. Norma stated that Mary, quote, seemed to go all funny, unquote. Norma said that Mary pushed him into the grass and attempted to strangle him when she said, quote, my hands are getting thick, take over, unquote. And that scared like the shit out of Norma because she's like, I don't want to fucking kill him. Like, what are you talking about? So she just like took off leaving Mary and Brian alone while Mary's like strangling Brian. So that leaves Mary as the last person to be seen with Brian pretty much. And you remember those fibers I was talking about that were found on yeah. Brian's body? 
Well, they examined the clothes that the girls had, and upon examination, they found grave fibers that were a match on Brian's body to a dress that belonged to Mary. And maroon fibers found on Brian's shoes were a match to Norma's skirt. Not only were they found on Brian's body, but some of those fibers were found on Martin's body as well. So it all kind of linked together. So police finally found out who was like committing these murders. But for some reason, they didn't arrest him like right there. They decided that they were going to like wait later on that night to do it for some reason. So it's that same day. Um, they were, I guess, Brian's body was in a coffin inside his, his household, his family home. And they were bringing him out. And Mary was right there, of course, right? She's not arrested yet. She she's always seems to be involved in everything, kind of like all these other murders. They like to be involved in their own crimes and witness all this horrible shit. So she's right there. And an investigator noticed her acting like quite, like kind of strange. This investigator stated, quote, she stood there laughing, laughing and rubbing her hands. I thought, my God, I've got to bring her in. She'll do another one, unquote. You should have done it right then and there. So that night on August 7th, 1968, Brian was buried in a local cemetery and over 200 people attended. And the same night, like I was saying, around 8 p.m., both Norma and Mary were charged with the murders of Brian Howe and Martin Brown. In response to this charge, Mary said, quote, that's all right by me. And Mary uh, and Norma burst into tears and said and stated, quote, I never I'll pay you back for this, unquote. Mary did give a handwritten statement saying that she was there when Brian was murdered, but it was Norma that killed him. She also admitted to breaking into that nursery and how they vandalized the place and left all those notes that I had mentioned. They both went under psychological evaluations. Norma's came back as, quote, intellectually delayed and a submissive character who easily displayed emotion, unquote. Mary's came back as, quote, a bright yet cunning character prone to sudden mood swings. Occasionally, Mary was willing to talk, although she rapidly became sullen, introspective, and defensive in nature, unquote. Mary was found to suffer from a psychopathic personality disorder. One psychiatrist stated, quote, Mary's social techniques are primitive and take the form of automatic denial, manipulation, complaining, bullying, fight or flight, unquote. After the ninth day of trial, Norma was acquitted of all charges. So she didn't go to jail wow. or anything. Nothing happened to her. While Mary, although cleared of murder, she was convicted of manslaughter of both of the boys. Mary was moved around from different institutions and prisons. And she reportedly stated that she was like sexually assaulted many times while she was in jail. In September of 1977, while Mary was at the Moore Court open prison, she escaped with another inmate, Annette Priest, but they were both later caught and they pretty much just lost their prison privileges for 28 days. That was their punishment for escaping jail. But in May of 1980, at 23 years old, Mary was released from prison, serving a total of almost seven and a half years. Mary was granted anonymity, so she had a new name and she moved somewhere, but no one really knows where, like, no one can find her or contact her because she wanted this all just to be in her past. Four years after Mary was released on May 25th, 1984, she actually had a baby girl. Growing up, her daughter had no idea about her past, but that changed in 1998 because reporters actually did end up finding Mary. 
This forced Mary and her then 14-year-old daughter to live in a safe house. Mary went back to court to get her anonymity to be extended for life, which was for her and her daughter and eventually updated for Mary's new granddaughter, which she was born in January of 2009. And for this reason, their whereabouts are unknown. But Mary has claimed that she was wrongly convicted and admits that the abuse she suffered when she was a child does not excuse her crimes. So, yeah, that's the wild story of Mary Bell. You want to talk about it? A lot. (laughs) (laughs) Shit is fucked up. I know. Yeah. She was uh, only 11 years old. She's, you know, 10, 11 years old, killing two little boys. I just thought that was so wild. So wild. I've never heard that. So It's crazy how like neglect and torment can create someone like that. Yeah, absolutely. We hear time and time again that, you know, all these children that are very neglected and seem like they just are unwanted by their parents turn into... It was more than neglect, though. Oh, yeah, for sure. It was rape. Absolutely. It was was fucking horrible. All these, like, men that she was, like, you know... And then later on, all these other families that have to deal with it because what was created out of this little girl destroyed their, you know, their lives. Yeah. Killing these boys. Absolutely. Yeah. And such a young, young age, these little boys, like that's, that'd be traumatic either way. But yeah, it's horrifying. She's a horrifying little girl, but yeah, it's the end of that episode. So a big shout out to Stephanie. Thanks again for terrifying Eric. Yeah. Thanks, Stephanie. <laughs> but yeah, that's why I love uh, getting suggestions and like, and all that kind of stuff from you guys. Cause especially ones that I don't know because I love exploring the exploring. I love researching them and, you know, finding out new cases. So thank you to everyone who always suggests them. I appreciate it. So yeah, keep them coming until the next episode. Stay safe and be aware. Love you guys. <laughs>